right, y'all, welcome back to the podcast. Today, let's talk about what everybody was talking about a week or so ago, uh, and perhaps many, uh, especially many Christians, primarily Christians probably are still even wondering about, maybe asking about uh, the Asbury Revival. What is the Asbury Revival? And really, what was actually happening? Was that really a revival? What was going on? Everybody's talking about it. We have always wanted uh, goodnewsnotgoodadvice.com in this podcast to talk about what you are talking about. Um, we rarely will pick something that you know that hits the news like this, uh, but this was just so big. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's heard about it. Um, so let's talk about it. Jeff and I recorded a podcast. The audio uh, was was uh, basically bad, and and we weren't able to to use it. So I'm going to kind of summarize everything we said. Um, and I'm going to try to do it pretty quick on this uh, podcast. So this is very much uh, this podcast and what I'm going to talk about is the fruit of the conversation Jeff and I had before we hit record. Then when we did hit record, just kind of analyzing uh, revival in general, what is revival? And then in light of that, what is the Asbury revival? So that's what I'm going to do. First, let's talk what is revival in general? What is a revival? What are we talking about biblically speaking when we talk about a revival? And then once we kind of create a working definition uh, let's uh, talk about Asbury, uh, analyze, okay, uh, was the Asbury revival a revival, uh, biblically speaking? And then in there, or maybe last, I'm going to hit kind of what can motivate uh, the sort of thing that we saw happen at Asbury. So first, what is a revival according to the Bible? Jeff um, brought it up that's, that has been said, I think maybe one of his seminary professors said it, I can't remember who, uh, that a revival is ordinary Christianity on steroids, this is so vital to understand about what a revival is, biblically speaking. I'm not talking about the revival you hear about. We're having a revival on Thursday at 9 p.m. Uh, outside under the tent. I'm saying, biblically speaking, what is revival? It is ordinary Christianity on steroids. A revival is typical, ordinary Christianity, the stuff the Bible talks about, heightened and elevated temporarily for a season. Um, so a revival is an out-of-the-ordinary, unusual event rare event or events that is simply increasing the intensity of the ordinary. It's the ordinary on steroids, which makes that event or events out of the ordinary. What is ordinary Christianity? Ordinary Christianity, uh, we could say, is living a life of repentance and faith in Jesus according to Scripture. That's ordinary Christianity. That's the stuff of the Bible. And so that means that a revival is going to be about repentance and faith, but a revival, biblically speaking, is going to be faith and repentance being given out, perhaps in an unusually intense way. Um, so perhaps this could mean that maybe a group of Christians are going through this reviving, this out of the ordinary reviving where repentance and faith is being strengthened, uh, maybe more than what's expected. Maybe that leads to a lot more church fellowship, Bible study, singing and praying, um, you know, temporarily. Um, so that would maybe be kind of ordinary Christian on steroids for Christians. Typically, when we think about revival, that we think about non-Christians coming to faith. And so when we biblically, biblically speaking, when we talk about revival, we might be talking about, you know, an unusually large amount of people coming to faith and repentance in Christ for the first, for the first time blowing away our ordinary expectations. Maybe we expect one or two people to come to faith at a given event, and then suddenly 50 people uh, come to faith, right? So it's this out of the ordinary, more rare experience. Um, but the point is that it's ordinary Christianity on steroids. And so this that this is what this means, that whatever was going on at Asbury, if it's biblical revival, is nothing um, that the ordinary Christian, if you're a Christian, it's nothing you haven't already experienced to some degree faith and repentance in Christ according to the scriptures. Um, so if 
what happened at Asbury was biblical revival, revival according to this biblical understanding of what revival is, you already actually know about what revival is. You, you already have even tasted it to some degree. Um, it's not some unknown, super mysterious, weird thing that you don't know anything about. No, revival, biblically speaking, is the ordinary Christianity you know and experience put on steroids uh, temporarily for a time. Uh, so think about the book of Acts. Let me give you an example. Think about the book of Acts. When you read the book of Acts, you know that you are reading about unusual, out-of-the-ordinary things happening throughout the book of Acts. But yet you also know that it's nothing the Bible doesn't already make sense of. The rest of the Bible totally makes sense of everything that we see happening in Acts. It's just that what's happening in Acts is happening in a very intense, increased way. It's ordinary Christianity put on steroids as the church is being established and built. So Acts covers an era of when ordinary Christianity is being given out in an unusually intense way. So I'll give you an example. When Peter preaches at the beginning of the book of Acts, we're told not 30 people are saved, but 3,000. 3,000 people. That is not an ordinary number. That's insane. We don't expect that every time we preach, every time we preach and teach the Bible. But what's ordinary about that event when Peter preaches is that ordinary Christianity is about repentance and faith in Christ according to God's word. And so in Acts 2, when Peter preaches and 3,000 are saved, we see the ordinary preaching of the ordinary word of God to ordinary people. But in that time and in that moment, an out of the ordinary result, rather than 10 people being saved or 30, we see 3,000, right? Now, with that working definition of, of revival, let's talk about Asbury. Um, now, you need to know my knowledge on Asbury. Jeff's knowledge on Asbury is limited to, to kind of your average person, what I've seen on social media. Uh, I know it hit mainstream cable news at one point. Um, and so I know that my knowledge could be very skewed. Perhaps everything that, that's being put out on social media is not really capturing what's actually going on. My guess is that it probably is. My guess is I have a pretty good, pretty good idea of what's going on just because I've heard so many different reports through social media and the internet and things like that of people who have actually been there. Um, but I, I do say that to say that's my knowledge. That's how I know what I know about Asbury. I think it's probably uh, basically the same as most Christians who didn't go there um, themselves. So in light of that knowledge, here's kind of how I think about Asbury. A lot of people are wondering, what, how do I even think about Asbury? What, what should I think about the Asbury revival? Here's how I think about it. Hopefully, hopefully it's helpful to you. I know that many of this, how, much of what I'm going to say is how Jeff thinks about it as well. Uh, first, uh, let me say this. Most, of, um, most seem to be calling what was happening at Asbury a revival because it was nonstop. So most of the social media posts and things like that always emphasized that that you had an ordinary chapel service that just didn't stop and that students hung, hung around to sing and pray basically 24-7 for a couple days. And so most of what I saw seemed to be equating revival with, with the fact that um, you just had such a long period of singing in particular and praying um, after the chapel service. Now, for me, here's kind of how I digest that and analyze that and think about it. In response to that, um, me knowing that people are singing and maybe praying a lot, doesn't it just doesn't tell me very much. Um, that could be the fruit of revival, of course. That could be the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit, um, that people have just this intense 
desire and hunger to pray and to sing uh, and to hopefully be in God's word for just this this out of the ordinary amount of time, right? Just this 24-7 thing. That could be the fruit of, fruit of revival, and I hope it is. Um, maybe it's ordinary singing and praying put on steroids, right? Uh, but let me just put this in a fuller biblical perspective from what I know about Asbury and, and why I say it just doesn't really tell me much. Uh, it could also, that could also be a sign of legalistic striving to impress God. So Jesus explicitly taught that some people pray for a long time because they're trying to impress God. So Jesus, um, so, so he says this, and when you pray, do not heap up the empty, empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. They think God's going to hear them and listen to them and respond to them because they're heaping up phrase after phrase, prayer after prayer. They just won't stop praying. And that's actually their way of trying to pull God down out of heaven. So my point is this, praying for a long time just doesn't tell me much. It could be a great thing, but according to that scripture right there, it could be an evil thing. In the case of Asbury, it just doesn't tell me much. I just, it leaves me in the same place I started. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Okay. Uh, Second, most of what I've seen happen at Asbury is singing. And I'm sure this includes a lot of personal prayer. And there's probably even some like uh, corporately led prayers from the stage. But I've seen, I could say I've better yet heard very little of God's word. So I've seen very little additional teaching or preaching or reading of the Bible. Nearly every clip I see of the Asbury Revival is singing. Nearly every testimony I hear about is that that you have this revival going on, and and we know it's a revival because people just won't stop singing. Um, when people go there, almost the first thing, in nearly every clip I see, the first thing they talk about is how I went and we were singing this song, or I went and you know it wasn't a hyped up band, but it was a real stripped down acoustic band. Um, so it's primarily, it seems to be about music. Uh, again, that could be a skewed perspective, but that's everything I've seen. So in response, this is how I think about that. It's a red flag for me when any revival quote unquote includes very little of the teaching, preaching, reading, communicating of God's word. Again, look at the book of Acts, an era of unprecedented revival, and it is dominated from front to back, overwhelmingly dominated by the communication of God's word through preaching, teaching, one-on-one communication, So, for instance, go through the book of Acts and count how many times, just do a comparison. You have the most amazing period of revival in the history of the world here. Count how many times you read of gatherings in Acts marked primarily by singing and compare that to the amount of gatherings in Acts, whether large or small, one-on-one, that are marked primarily by God's word being communicated in some form or fashion, preaching, teaching, conversationally. What you're going to find is the engine and fruit of revival is the word of God being preached, taught, and communicated, okay? In the case of Asbury, especially because we're calling it a revival, a lot of people are calling it a revival or an outpouring of the Spirit, same thing in my mind, um, I don't like how little uh, of God's word I'm seeing marking it. That That's a big red flag for me, uh, that, that God's word does not seem to be the engine and fruit of it. All right, third, uh, I'm just trying to go through my thoughts on Asbury. Uh, In listening to the original chapel sermon uh, at Asbury, there's a video of it on YouTube. I listened to the original uh, sermon. What stood out to me and what to me was a sign of maybe it kind of showed me a little bit about Asbury's church culture, Christian culture, like uh, uh, 
what stood out to me was that uh, the preacher asked people to stick around after to pray. I could tell that the preacher himself, and perhaps if he represented the Asbury kind of church culture, seemed a bit more charismatic to me. Like he made a joke about tongues at one point. Um, He asked people to stick around and pray. I think even come to the front and pray. Um, So I've heard a ton about how this revival was born out of an ordinary chapel service. Kind of like this whole idea of like, it's an ordinary chapel service that should have ended, but it kept going. And and that does seem to be true that it, it was it started at this ordinary chapel service. But what was significant to me was that I felt like it seems like there was already a culture there was that was primed and ready for this sort of thing. I even watched a clip the other day that said that I think there's been eight quote unquote revivals at Asbury in in the past few decades. Um, it seemed like they were kind of primed and ready for it. So the preacher told them to consider hanging out after the service, uh, the chapel service, that he had nothing to do for hours, uh, at least for a handful of hours or so, and that he would pray with people as long as they needed to until his next appointment. Um, And so for me, what that tells me is that it seems like what we're saying was so out of the ordinary that people would stick around and hang out after the chapel service to pray was the very thing that they were told to consider doing specifically. In other words, it doesn't seem like this wildly out of the ordinary, you know, how did this happen? This is so spontaneous thing. And perhaps like many church cultures, there's already kind of a revivalistic culture there at Asbury. I don't know. But when I watched the chapel service, it stood out to me. Some comments that were made. Um, To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, for instance, in my town, we have a university that every year plans 72 hours of consecutive prayer. So what happened at Asbury, we actually plan and schedule to have to, to, to happen. My point is very simple. All I'm saying is maybe nonstop singing and praying uh, isn't that crazy of an idea for the Asbury students. I don't know. I'm just saying that's what I picked up from the sermon, handful of comments, that sort of thing. It just didn't seem like this was all that out of the ordinary um, for them for them to happen. My point is this. For instance, at my church on Sunday, if you heard that this happened, like we came to church on Sunday at 10 a.m., that's when we meet on Sundays, and nobody left uh, until like Tuesday night, you can be sure that something very out of the ordinary is going on. I'm just not positive given the history of Asbury and apparently numerous of these revivals have happened that it was so out of the ordinary for them to do this. I'm not trying to be picky here. Uh, in this analysis, you've got to understand what I mean in terms of, of, of also church culture in America. Uh, we Christians in America are steeped in revivalistic culture, whether we know it, a lot, know it or not. Um, we, we love, we, we're, we're a part of what we could call revivalism and what has been called revivalism. Uh, the American church landscape is marked by revivals. We've got the first and second great awakenings in our history that are defining events for our church culture even today. Uh, we plan and schedule revivals. Like I said, a, a university in my town plans or at least hosts a 72-hour nonstop prayer event um, uh, every single year. We are steeped in a, a love for, a hunger for revivals. We're constantly praying for revivals. So in a sense, we're, we're primed and ready for this sort of thing, that perhaps it's not so out of the ordinary is all I'm trying to say. Okay. Now, fourthly, lastly, and what's most important for me with all this is that the original chapel sermon I watched very, uh, included very little preaching of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So I'm going to take my point about the word of God. That it doesn't seem to be kind of the engine and fruit of what's going on or what happened. I'm going to get even more specific. The word of God centers on the good news 
of what Jesus has done for us. The original sermon was a call to obedience to God's law, which is fantastic. I loved how he just opened up Romans, started preaching through Romans, and called people to obedience. The, the sermon was essentially about how people should love God um, uh, and, and perhaps like love. I, I think it was actually more specifically about loving people, that we should love people well. Um, so it was a call to God's law at, from Romans. It was fantastic. Um, and that's primarily what it was about. My guess is people in the chapel were probably convicted that they don't love people well. Um, he also ended the sermon, which I'm really thankful for, by saying that we can't love people the way we're called to. We're just sinful. And that in order to love people well, we need to experience, quote unquote, experience the love of Jesus. Now, so I think a lot of that is so fantastic. So what's my kind of why am I bringing that up? The problem is that that experience at the end, when when students were told you need to experience the love of God, it just wasn't defined. And, and I think this is really key to understand. This is something Jeff pointed out. The preacher could have told them to experience God's love. They need to listen to the gospel and believe and receive the love of God for free right then and there through the message of the gospel. But because the, the gospel is only vaguely pointed to, you know, that, hey, Jesus loves you and you need to experience that love because it was only kind of vaguely pointed to and the law was the specific dominant message, you can, you can, this is not, you can imagine this. You can imagine a lot of people being left in a place of conviction that they, they don't love well, they don't love people well, they don't love God well, and they're being told that in order to love well, they need to experience God's love. And so possibly the resulting few days, possibly were a striving after trying to capture that experience or that feeling of God's love that they were told that they needed. So I can imagine tons of people desiring to experience God's love, to feel his love, to feel something special, something divine, some kind of connection with God, and then think that perhaps what they should do is do exactly what the preacher told them to do, which is potentially hang out after the chapel service, come to the front, get prayer. So, so think about that. This is not a hard thing to imagine. Imagine if not just one person felt that way, but maybe 15 or 20. Suddenly you have a sizable group of people hanging out after seeking some experience or feeling of God's love. And in many church cultures that comes through music, right? The sermon kind of gets you ready and then the band starts playing and it's during the music that you have that encounter with God. That's, that's, that's a lot of how evangelicalism thinks and works today in a lot of churches. And so think, imagine just 15, 20 people linger, seeking some kind of feeling. The band kind of keeps playing as they see this happening. And then two or three days later, people are still doing it. And due to global connectedness and the internet and social media, you have people literally flying in from all over the country, keeping it going. My point here is very similar to what I said about God's word. When the preaching of the word, and in particular, the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, the free forgiveness of sins, is not the engine and, ref- and fruit of a given revival. I'm just suspect concerning what's going on. I'm left with, at best, I'm left with tons of big questions. And at worst, at worst, in, a, in, in an analysis, I'm worried people are maybe striving in light of the sermon that was preached. Maybe they're striving to make up for their lack of others. Maybe they're striving after this mysterious fleeting experience or feeling of God's love. I mean, I heard one prominent pastor who went there say that one of his first dominant thoughts was, I want to feel something. So this is, I'm not making up far-fetched ideas here. This is this is perhaps what was going on. I mean, I don't exactly know, but I'm just trying to analyze the sermon that was preached and the fact that most of the, the following days were marked by music. And it's making me go, okay, is this a crowd of people 
who are just striving after trying to feel something. So what motivates me in this podcast uh, is very simple. Um, nearly every time I hear someone talk about Asbury, what happened there, uh, that is dominated by the idea of some mysterious experience. Um, and usually it doesn't come through from God at work in his word, right? It's usually something dominated by lots of music, you know, some personal prayer, things like that. Um, so I think that there's a, a better way. Maybe, perhaps if I'm right in some of this, if Jeff and I are right and putting our finger on the pulse of some of these things and some of this analysis, again, through the limited knowledge we have, I would say there's a better way. There's a biblical way, um, I should say. Do you want to know God loves you? Don't seek a feeling or an experience. Listen to God in his word. Do not seek a feeling. Do not seek an, an experience. Listen to the word of God. Do you want to feel God's love for you? Don't seek a feeling. Don't seek a, an experience. Listen to the gospel over and over and over again. Don't go in on yourself, in on your feelings, in on your experiences, in on your own thoughts. Go out to God's thoughts in his word and go to the gospel. Do you want to be revived? Listen to God's word. Do you want revival? Communicate God's word. All right. In the end, finishing this up, in the end, uh, I hope that what happened at Asbury was that a ton of people were strengthened in their faith and repentance, that a lot of people came to faith and repentance in Jesus for the first time. I hope that people sang and prayed for days out of a sense of thankfulness for the love of God. Um, and, and in the end, time will tell with these things, right? Time will tell. Um, I have no bias. Like, <laughs> I definitely don't have a bias against that. that. That's what I would hope for. So um, I just, I personally can't conclude what happened or, and I definitely can't call it, it from my knowledge. I definitely wouldn't say, oh, that was a revival or that was an outpouring of God's spirit. From my observation and where I sit, it's like a time will tell thing. So, um, so anyway, uh, I live in Waco. We live in Waco. Uh, it's too far off our radar to even think much about uh, at all. Again, the only reason I, I kind of wanted to express our thoughts here, my thoughts here, uh, is because everyone's talking about it. And so hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully it's a helpful way to think about these kind of events when they pop up, a helpful way to analyze them from a biblical perspective. And again, my hope and prayer is that that what happened there was an out-of-the-ordinary event of ordinary Christianity being put on steroids. And I think time, uh, time will tell. So anyway, hope this is helpful. Until next time.